Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hey, Las Vegas. So to wrap up this year and really, you know, put a bow on it, we're sharing our best episodes on the biggest stories of 2022. I'm here with co-host David Figler. Hey. And the topic that none of us could really get off our minds is, of course, water. So we're bringing you a conversation that I had with Nevada independent journalist Daniel Rothberg. So, David, What's been going on with the Colorado River water talks since we published this episode in April? Well, water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. Um, (laughs) Well, at the end of April, we turned on our low-level pumps at Lake Mead, which is Mm -hmm. our third and final straw to get water from the reservoir. So Mm -hmm. sounds a little dire. Uh, The feds then kind of got together, instead of being particularly thoughtful, gave Western states, including Nevada, an ultimatum. Y'all come to an agreement and figure this out by August, or we'll start mandating further cuts. Uh Uh, But that date came and went, Sonia, and nothing yet, just a lot of threats Hmm. and a lot of worry. I'm going to quote SNWA, so Southern Nevada Water Authority's head, John Ensminger. He said, the last 62 days of interstate negotiations produced exactly nothing (laughs) in terms of (laughs) meaningful action to help forestall the looming crisis. So uh, not so encouraging. Fast forward to December. The feds now say the deadline is January, late January in specific, Uh to come up with a consensus-based solution or they're going to do it for us. And You know, water managers and stakeholders, including indigenous tribes, thankfully, from across the Colorado River Basin, met up at a conference here in Las Vegas, and they started negotiations. Wow, interesting. So hopefully something comes out of this, which, you know, we haven't seen too much action come out of other states since 2022, despite the fact that Nevada really has done an amazing job of conserving water compared to other states. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we talked about that on the podcast. You know, we're right? very good at reclaiming indoor water and outdoor water is a challenge. And we've got some of the most progressive and effective laws in the country. People look at us as the standard bearer. And yet we're also bearing the brunt. It doesn't seem very right? fair. That is actually one of the most surprising things I learned in that conversation with Daniel. That, yeah. Uh, that Nevada is kind of a, you know, he wouldn't use the phrase city on a hill. <laughs> he was not <laughs> willing to be quite so uh Praiseworthy, but for he, being a he water a guy, of... he could be a little dry about things like that. Sure. Yeah. He's he's measured, you know. But the thing that I did manage to eke out of him was to hear Daniel say that he's actually hopeful. And so that was the surprising moment for me. What about you? What do you what is something you think listeners are gonna take away from this episode? Well, I think it's just a great and complete conversation. It gives that context. You know, we we yeah. all worry about water sort of in the abstract. And your conversation with Daniel really brought home some very good specifics that people can, you know, wrap their heads around as we move forward with whatever's to come next. So it's a good primer, but also a real thoughtful conversation. I think people are going to really enjoy it. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. It's Tuesday, December 27th, 2022. I'm Sonia Cho Swanson, and this is CityCast Las Vegas.
It's, it's really great to have you on because you're based in Reno, but you cover the whole state. And I know you've been thinking a lot about what's going on in the Colorado River Basin. I read your recent article in the Indy, and it just had this fantastic lead. I loved it. So I'll just quote you here. It comes down to a math problem gone wrong. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So like a lot of watersheds across the West and rivers, and even aquifers, the basic issue that's playing out in a lot of places is that there's less water to go around than there are rights to water or demand for water. And that's exactly fundamentally at a high level what's going on on the Colorado River, where you have legal allocations among seven U.S. states and Mexico and more than two dozen Native American tribes for about 18 million acre feet of water, which is a large amount of water. An acre foot is about, is the amount of water that can fill one acre of land to about, to, to a depth of one foot. So if you imagine multiplying that by 18 million, it's a ton of water. But in the last 20 years during the drought, in many years, we've only seen the flow of the Colorado River be at about 11 million acre feet. And that drought, that prolonged period of drought caused in part and perhaps in large part by climate change is driving this imbalance on the river. So you have a continued amount of demand and you have a small supply that is expected to continue at that level because of the way that the climate is changing and precipitation and runoff into the river are changing. Mm -hmm. And last year, the federal government actually stepped in, right? Last summer. Yeah, last summer, this, the federal government stepped in in you know what, what water users had been preparing for for quite some time now. And they declared the first ever official shortage on the river, which triggered cuts to several of the states that rely on the river, including California, Nevada, and Arizona. We have this really stark visual marker in Lake Mead, right? Those bathtub rings. Right. Yeah. I remember, so I moved, my family and I moved to Las Vegas a little over 20 years ago. And back then we were just starting to have the conversation about, uh-oh, Lake Mead is dropping. But it's so much starker now. It's just so apparent. Yeah, if you go out to the Hoover Dam, if you if you take a look at Lake Mead, it's, you know, the first thing that you probably will notice is the bathtub ring because it's such a kind of unnatural feature of the lake to see all of this exposed rock, which shows how far the water has dropped in, in just the last 20 years. And Lake Powell just last month hit a critical number. So I, I was reading that it was about 3,500 feet. And that, I guess, has an impact on the power generation at Glen Canyon Dam. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Lake Mead and Lake Powell are obviously separated by miles and miles of the Colorado River, by the Grand Canyon, but they work sort of in tandem. And we see Lake Powell uh, as Nevadans when we go down to Hoover Dam or Lake Mead, but the water that's coming in to Lake Mead is coming upstream. And Lake Powell has dropped so low that it is really operating in uncharted territory where as the reservoir continues to drop, 
you're seeing potential issues with generating hydropower, which is sent uh, across the Western grid. But the two reservoirs, Lake Powell and Lake Mead, these big sort of storage accounts, they operate together in tandem. And water from Lake Powell is released, released into Lake Mead every year. I think that's a really interesting point that that they work in tandem because I think of Lake Powell as being in Arizona. Like, why should we care what happens right. in Arizona? Like, Lake Mead is our lake, <laughs> right? Right. It's really interesting because I think there is that kind of reaction to to hearing about it. Like, Lake Mead, yeah, Lake Mead is our lake. It stores water for Arizona, Nevada, California, Mexico. And the most important thing is to keep water in Lake Mead. That's our storage account. That's our bank account for for this huge population in the Southwest. But but the reality is that all of these reservoirs in the Colorado River store water in the system. And that water eventually makes its way down through the entire system. And so what happens in Lake Powell, of course, affects what, what happens in Lake Mead. And so I think with Lake Powell dropping, it sort of reinforced the, you know, shared fate that everybody has in the Colorado River. You know, whether the water is stored in Lake Powell and Lake Mead, there is less water in the system to work with. I I love that a bank account analogy because what I'm hearing is we've got this shared bank account, which is how many states again? Seven U.S. states from Wyoming down to Arizona. And then also not to mention Mexico, right? So we've got this shared bank account of water and we're all kind of like drawing from the bank and trying to say, okay, well, I get this much per year, you get that much per year. And when it comes down to it, we still all have to make sure that we don't overdraw from the bank. Totally. Yeah. It's sort of like a a big extended family. (laughs) The Southwest has a bank account and we've been collectively as a region using more than we're putting into the the account for almost two decades now and the account is pretty depleted at this point so we're a family with a shopping problem basically it sounds like i don't want to i don't want to trivialize it too much because this water it's really important to remember and and why it's so challenging to to conserve is that this water is being put to use whether that's for agriculture or whether that's for cities drinking water and these are you know pretty essential uses that are tied to businesses and livelihoods and you know just everyday use so but i do think it's fair to say that that we we are a family with a problem um so we have a problem we have an issue and the last 20 or so years the issue has been getting worse can we point to climate change as part of the problem? Yeah, I, I think that there's there's no question that that climate change is a huge is a huge factor in what's driven this this drought. I think there have been mo- multiple scientific studies, both focused on the Southwest and on the Colorado River Basin in particular, looking at how climate change has affected the amount of snow that's falling in the Colorado River Basin and how that snow is running off into rivers and basically have concluded that climate change has made the supply in the Colorado River system um, far below the average that we've seen over the past century in just the, the past two decades. The states have done a lot, Nevada, California, 
and Arizona have done a lot to try to curb demand, to, to, to try to fix that issue. And if you look at Nevada over the past 20 years, the Southern Nevada Water Authority has managed to live within its allocation, its legal allocation to Colorado River water, which is pretty significant. But collectively, as a, as a basin as a whole, you know, demand still far exceeds what the best climate research tells us is going to be the amount of water coming into the system or mm-hmm. the amount of money deposited into the bank every mm-hmm. year uh, as the climate continues to change. Hmm. Hmm. I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that Nevada has been doing a pretty good job, Southern Nevada in particular, (laughs) because I am personally guilty of this, but I love to complain about what a water-guzzling city we are here in Las Vegas. We talk about the golf courses, and I mean, I don't complain (laughs) about the Bellagio Fountains because I love them, but I know a lot of people do. Do you ever watch that show Hacks, by the way? I do. I mean, I don't know how reflective it is of actual Las Vegas, but like the fact that they have a whole subplot with that whole like water district guy coming in to audit her, the main yeah. character. Yeah, it's kind of a trope that we have water problems. I mean, totally. We... It's easy to hate. It's an, it's an easy take for people. So are we doing enough? What What's your take? So my take is that there's way more than meets the eye. Okay. You know, I think... That's true in almost every watershed, um, but it's especially true in Las Vegas. You know, it's easy to look around and say, this is a desert, there's a water problem. But the fact is, and this it would not have been true, you know, 20 years ago, but over the past two decades, Las Vegas really has become one of the most water secure cities in the Colorado River Basin, wow. specifically in the Southwest. And before everyone, you know, accuses me of um, (laughs) being like a chamber of commerce rep over here, I can kind of explain why I think that. Las Vegas went from, you know, not living always within its Colorado River allocation to not using its entire Colorado River allocation. And the way that Southern Nevada has done that is by recycling and reusing it's indoor water use. So almost pretty much all the water you use inside is recycled and goes back to Lake Mead. So the the significant water water use is in outdoor irrigation and the Southern Nevada Water Authority has taken some very proactive steps in incentivizing the conversion of uh turf and now with a new state law eventually converting all of the existing ornamental turf or what they call uh, decorative turf in the valley, lawns that are not used for any purpose except for kind of aesthetics. And so on the one hand, those aggressive measures to conserve use and drive down the per capita daily use have been really effective in allowing Southern Nevada to live within its Colorado River allocation. At the same time, why I say that Southern Nevada is really water secure is because the Water Authority has made this really huge infrastructure investment in Lake Mead hmm. that allows Las Vegas to take water out of Lake Mead as the reservoir continues to drop. And that's a huge, big deal because no other state in the lower Colorado River Basin other than Nevada is able to take water out of Lake Mead if the lake drops so low that water can't physically pass the Hoover Dam. So that's really significant. 
shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. So who are the biggest water consumers then along the Colorado River Basin? Like, who can we point fingers at? Well, I hesitate to point fingers at anyone. Nevada uses a really small amount of the Colorado River. Our allocation, our legal entitlement to the Colorado River is 300,000 acre feet. I think I said earlier that all the legal entitlements together come out to something like 18 million acre feet. So if you think of 300,000 in the context of 18 yeah, million, it's, that's tiny. it's really small. It gets really complicated to to point a finger because there's just a lot of different governance structures that that inform how the water is used and how it's historically been been used. I, I know for a fact that the majority of the Colorado River is used for agriculture. Uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what the number is, 70, 80, but it's somewhere, I think, in that range. So the majority of Colorado River water goes to agriculture, but Las Vegas, maybe part of the reason why our numbers are so low in terms of per capita consumption is because mm -hmm. we don't really have, you know, as you pointed out before, we don't really have farms. Totally. And we depend totally. on the agriculture. Totally. From California and Arizona, so I don't know if our if our, our numbers are really are really are really a fair reflection of how much water we actually use. When you think about the lettuce and carrots and tomatoes that come in that were fed by the Colorado River in other states, absolutely, and it's a great connection to make because people don't always make that connection. It's very when we talk about the Colorado River, it, things are very siloed off oftentimes, but. But you're absolutely right. And we are able to live within our allocation and use such a small amount of water in part because most of that water is for municipal use. In California and Arizona, which have much larger entitlements to Colorado River water than, than Nevada does, there's a wide variety of water users, municipal, agricultural. And agriculture does require more, more water in many cases than a housing development. But as you said, the importance of it can't be understated that that agriculture is being used to feed people and we interact with it in our daily lives, whether we're consciously thinking about where that water is coming from or not. And you're right that, you know, it's easy to look at a per capita daily use in a city, but not think about the agriculture that we're consuming and the amount of water that goes in, into producing that. And that is also, you know, playing out in different parts of the Colorado River. So it sounds like rather than being the sin city of water use, we're kind of a city on a hill. <laughs> am I am I wrong here? I, I think that there are, there are definitely areas for improvement. Las Vegas stands out in the Southwest for its conservation. 
I'm saying that based off interviews that I've done with water users in other parts of the West and the Southwest. Las Vegas also has a lot of advantages that other water users don't have structurally. Again, the Southern Nevada Water Authority is is a municipal water provider that controls most of the Colorado River allocation to Nevada, whereas in other states, Colorado River allocation is split among a lot of different water users. So so it's a lot easier for for Southern Nevada to sort of control its Colorado River apportionment than it might be in a state like Arizona or California where it's split among a lot of different people. I I think that the issue, and I was talking to someone about this today, I think if there's an issue, it's it's much farther, not much farther, but it's farther out into the future than it might be for, for another state because of these sort of measures that the Southern Nevada Water Authority has taken over the past you know, two decades. Hmm. I think that's that's an interesting and kind of complicated part of telling this story as a journalist, which is, you know, Southern Nevada has taken all these steps to conserve water, to use less, um, and, and built infrastructure to put Las Vegas in a situation where it's fairly water secure compared to a lot of other places in the Colorado River Basin. But at the same time, regionally, the situation is is very dire because of climate change and because of continued demand. And Nevada is one of the active participants in the in ongoing negotiations right now on how the, the river will be used and allocated moving forward. And it's really important, even though Southern Nevada has done all these things locally to conserve water, it's important that Southern Nevada Water Authorities at the table regionally to discuss sort of the allocation and use of the river moving forward because at the end of the day, Las Vegas is dependent, gets about 90% of its water from the Colorado River. Well, that kind of brings me to the last question I have, which is about the far, far, far future. As we were preparing for this episode, our newsletter editor, Scott, and our producer, Layla, and I were talking about the dystopian fiction that we've read and loved. Scott mentioned this book called The Water Knife, and I mentioned a book um, by Octavia Butler called Parable of the Sower. And it's they're both set in these dystopian futures where water is a resource that is more precious than gold, and there are wars and battles fought over water. Is that a future that you see coming to Las Vegas? Do people ask you whether or not they should stay in Las Vegas because of a, a looming dystopian water crisis? Um, yes, people do <laughs> ask and email me about that. Water scarcity has always been a feature of this region, I guess. And it is, you know, why we have the environment we have. It's why we have, and it, it, it's informed the choices that people have have had to make good or good or bad. One thing we didn't really talk about is as there is this conversation going on on the Colorado River about preparing and for a smaller river and and planning for what a future will look like under climate change, there's also a discussion that's been going on now for years about correcting some of the historic injustices on the river. Mm. Tribes have a right to 20% about 20% of the Colorado River yet they've been excluded from a lot of these talks and negotiations mm-hmm. in the past. So when when I talk about a little bit about 
how we manage for scarcity in a way that coheres with our values as a society. Those are some of the questions that water managers, states, the federal government in particular are are grappling with and thinking about moving forward. Hmm. I don't know if I answered your question at all, but... <laughs> well, but I think it sounds like yeah. you have hope. I do. I think I I don't really look at my reporting necessarily as hope or not. I, I, I try to really focus on the facts and what's going on on the ground. And I think Las Vegas can be a model. City on a hill, I don't know. I don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to give I don't want to give them too much credit, but I I think there are things that are going on in in cities that are really innovative and and it does give me hope. You know what? I'll say it. It gives me hope. Nice. Sometimes like when I'm in other places too, unnamed places in other parts of the Colorado River basin and I see a bunch of lawns, front lawns and or decorative turf that is purely ornamental, mm-hmm. is not used by anybody. Mm-hmm. I think, wow, there there's still a lot of room for conservation in this system. There's still a lot of room to make the system more efficient and more equitable without interfering too much with daily life and and livelihoods. Well, thank you for that note, note of hope. We could all use it going forward. And happy almost Earth Day, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you. You too. <laughs> All right, so that is all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you enjoyed the show, go tell a friend. Then rate the show, you know, give us a few stars, write some nice words in the reviews. And also don't forget to subscribe to our amazing morning newsletter. It's the best thing in your inbox at 6 a.m., trust me. Take care. Take care.